You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Feel free to stand if you'd like to and are able to for the reading of God's word. Um, making sure I have the right scripture here. Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Have we not all one father? Hmm, somebody's doing the audio version. Maybe just turn it up. We could just follow that one. Verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let's pray. Father, you're the faithful one. You've gathered us here this morning to to hear from you. Um, Forgive us for our lack of faith to each other and to spouses and change us. You're the faithful God who changes. uh, Changes people, that is. Um, Please speak to us now by your spirit and change us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel, it's a bittersweet day for me to see Daniel's family uh, head out, but we'll be have a good time afterwards. Hope he can stay for that. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about God and marriage. And I think that most of you know that Sarah and I have just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Um, and thank you, yeah, that's this. <laughs> I'll just mention it every time and you clap every time. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, so, but you also probably know that uh, Sarah and I are high school sweethearts. So I've actually known Sarah for over 26 years. And I found a, a, a picture of our, can you guys see that over the, the music stands? Okay, I, I found a, we had a little eyesight test earlier. Did you guys uh, see that uh, with some of the lyrics of, anyway. Um, we went, this is part of the building where we went to school um, together. And what's um, kind of cool about this picture is there's a lot of memories associated with this picture actually. But if you look at those two double doors that look kind of white underneath one of the arches, actually through those doors 
is where I saw Sarah for the very first time um, as she was changing her elective. She was actually changing into a guitar elective that I was a part of too, and so I was excited about that. And later that very day, in high school, I told one of my buddies, uh, we were sitting on this ledge, and I said, you see that girl over there? And he's like, yeah. I said, that girl is going to be my wife. You know, <laughs> it's over 26 years ago. Now, at the time, I was not a follower of Jesus. And so um, Jesus is sovereign over the whole universe and over my life. But in my mind, he didn't figure into the, to the you know, equation as regards to whether or not I would pursue a relationship with Sarah. But Sarah, she came from a Christian home, and God was doing something in her life. And, and so this created sort of a, a, a tension within her. Like me pursuing her created this tension because I, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. Now we're both followers of Jesus, and, and so that's good. Uh, but, but then it was different. And so I want you to keep that tension in mind because I think this passage is going to actually address the tension that, that uh, Sarah was dealing with um, back then. We are in the book of Malachi, uh, and we have said that Malachi was written to those returning from exile from Babylon. God had brought them back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. They have rebuilt the temple. But another thing that has happened is that these wrong ideas about God began to creep into their hearts and into their minds. And so God, in Malachi, through the prophet, he begins to address some of these wrong ideas through a series of six disputes, where God brings these truth claims, these charges against um, Israel, and then he defends those truth claims, those charges, but then Israel's kind of refuting them, and there's this sort of going back and forth. Now, if you remember, the first dispute was all about God's love, right? Because when they came into the land, coming back from Babylon, they had some difficult circumstances that they were up against, and they began to believe, well, maybe Yahweh doesn't love us anymore. That idea began to creep in. And the first dispute, and, and this is sort of like the foundational idea to Malachi, everything springs out from this, is Yahweh saying, no, I do love you. I love you with a covenant love, a, a relationship that we have built on promises with the expectation of faithfulness. And I have shown you my covenant love to you as your husband by coming against the Edomites who are coming against you. So that's the first dispute. Then in the second dispute, it's sort of like the flip side of the first dispute, where he says, you know, God had said in the first dispute, I love you. But then in the second dispute, he says, you have despised my name. Like, you, you haven't taken seriously my reputation. Because you didn't receive my love, your worship is half-hearted, right? And so they were bringing these defective animals into the temple to be sacrificed because they weren't really motivated to worship God with their whole heart because they weren't sure if God even loved them. And that was the second dispute. But today we're going to talk about the third dispute, which is all about their faithless marriages. And, and you can kind of see the going back and forth in this passage in this way, where Yahweh makes this charge or this claim in the latter part of verse 12, which I'll summarize by saying, he says, um, look, you can cry all you want, but I'm not going to receive your offerings. 
right? And then Israel says, well, why won't you? And he says, well, because of your faithless marriages. In other words, I'm, I'm not going to accept your, your worship because you are showing your faithlessness with regard to marriage in two ways. In your idolatrous marriages, that's the first point. We'll talk about what, he, what we mean by that. But then also in your illegitimate divorces. In these two ways, they were showing that they were faithless. And so God was saying, you know, I love you. And I have set up this sacrificial system. And, and they were religious. These were religious people. Like these people went to church, right? They were going to the temple. They were making these sacrifices. But the sacrifices were defective. And their marriages were faithless, right? And that showed that their marriage to Yahweh was broken. That was evidence of that reality. And so one way in which it was shown is through these idolatrous marriages. Going back to verse 10 of Malachi chapter 2, speaking to Israel, Malachi says, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Now, us there is not humanity in general, but specifically talking about the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 32.6 tells us that Yahweh fathered Israel. Right? We see the same sort of thing repeated in Isaiah 63, Jeremiah 31.9. It's already, this metaphor has already been used in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Yahweh fathers or creates the nation of Israel. So he says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. In other words, you are my covenant people that I fathered. So why is it that you're entering into these idolatrous marriages? Now, to really understand what is going on, we need to go to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And what we learn in those two books is that these exiles who were coming back from Babylon, just about as soon as they come back, the children of Israel, including the priests, began to intermarry with the foreign uh, women of the surrounding nations. Now, that wouldn't be that big of a, of a deal if those foreign women had repented from their idol worship, um, had stopped their idolatrous practices, had turned to Yahweh and joined Yahweh's people. Because then they would be like Ruth. Right? Remember, Ruth is a Moabitess, right? And she repents. She's part of the surrounding nations. But she repents from her idolatry, turns to Yahweh and joins the covenant people of God and actually becomes the great-grandmother of King David. So God always, even in the Old Testament, was welcoming to the nations for them to turn and come to Yahweh and become part of the covenant people of God. Even Ezra 6.21 talks about this. But what was happening in this case, these particular foreign women that they were marrying had not repented of their idolatry or of their abominable practices that included things like child sacrifice, 
that included things like all these different kinds of sexual perversions. And you can read about the description of the practices of the surrounding nations in places like Deuteronomy 18 and Leviticus chapter 18. And so he is saying to them, look, you are marrying, this is how he describes it, the daughter of a foreign god. Right, so this is not about ethnicity or about race. It's about idolatry. Right? These marriages were idolatrous. By marrying these women, they were opening up their hearts to be carried away from Yahweh, who was their first husband, right, and breaking covenant with him. So he says, why then are we faithless to, or you can translate betraying, one another, profaning or not taking seriously the covenant of our fathers. Now that phrase, the covenant of our fathers, it is used throughout the Old Testament, like in Jeremiah 31, 32, Jeremiah 34, 1 and 2 Kings, to refer to the covenant relationship that God had with the people that he brought out of Egypt. So he brings them out of Egypt, takes them to Mount Sinai, and then he gives them the boundaries of their relationship and their relationship to one another. And that's called the Mosaic Covenant. And in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, he warns them, specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 7, not to intermarry with the surrounding nations. Because when they do, or if they do, they will make themselves vulnerable and their children vulnerable to idolatry. That, that's his whole point that he's making in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And then if you look in Nehemiah chapter 13, the example that Nehemiah gives is the most wise person to ever live aside from Jesus. And who was that? King Solomon. Did King Solomon uh, marry any foreign wives? About 700 of them. Yeah. Does he even know their names at that point? I mean, like seven, he had 700 concubines on top of that. I mean, 1,400 women, you know, it just, ha, yeah, anyway, so he, like, uh, and the wisest man on earth apart from Jesus, what happened as a result of these marriages, right? They were like, honey, we really, we don't have a place to worship. And he's like, I'm not going to worship foreign gods. Honey, please, 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 please. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll put up a little sanctuary for you up here. And then throughout Israel, then were dotted these high places, right? So you can look in 1 Kings chapter 11. Now all these idolatrous places of worship are taking over the nation. And what do the other people in Israel start to do? Worshiping idols, Right? And so it was the demise of the, whole, of the whole nation. And so what Malachi is saying, look, when you are taking these idolatrous foreign women in marriage, then that's going to lead you down a certain path where you are breaking covenant with your husband, Yahweh. You're cheating on your husband, Yahweh. And that is exactly what led to their exile in the first place. See, can you imagine the frustration of the prophets? <laughs> it's like, oh, this is exactly what we did before. Like, precisely what we did before, and that ended us up in exile. Now, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Right? And so this was literally insane. Now, the New Testament, uh, Paul is driven by the same concern 
actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, when he tells us to marry only in the Lord, he says. Now, earlier, he's careful to say, look, if you've, you're already married to an unbeliever, then you should remain faithful to your unbelieving spouse as long as they will have you, right? But if they abandon you, they divorce you, you're free to marry, but only in the Lord, right? Christians are only to marry those who are following Jesus. Why? Same, same thing, right? If you, if you pursue a romantic relationship with somebody who isn't following Jesus, well, then you're leaving yourself open to being carried away from King Jesus. Now, I mentioned earlier, when I first started uh, pursuing Sarah, I was an unbeliever. Right? And that created a, a tension uh, in her. And it was interesting what the Lord did because almost about as soon as we started talking, you know, you, <laughs> I just remember dialing the phone and, <gasps> you know, <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right. Um, but anyway, that's when the phone was like connected, you know. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I, I, and, but it, so right when we started talking on the phone and everything, she went away to a Christian camp over one weekend. And at that Christian camp, she gave her life to Jesus, King Jesus, right? And when she came back, she told me about Jesus, and I submitted my life to Jesus. Now, the one, there was one thing that she didn't tell me, and I, I, I wouldn't have had a category for this anyway, because I knew so little about Christianity, I wouldn't even known that this was possible, but she had resolved in her own heart and in her own mind that if I said no to Jesus, she was going to say no to me because she loved Jesus more than me, right? And guess what? She still loves Jesus more than me. And I love Jesus more than Sarah. And that's actually a key pillar to a strong marriage, that you would love Jesus more than you love your spouse. Now, now if that sounds weird to you, like I, I'm not going to get into it today, but come and talk to me about that, because I'm not joking when I say, like sometimes we make our spouses an idol, right? But we have to love Jesus even more than our spouse, and when we do, a weird thing happens. We begin to love our spouses even more. And that's how, that, that's how that works. So I think God, like she was right about her resolve not to say yes to me if I said no to Jesus. Because if she said yes to me when I wasn't following Jesus, then I wouldn't be marriage material. Right? because I would open her up to idolatry away from King Jesus, right? And so thankfully, that would have been a huge mistake, and she didn't, she didn't make that mistake. So Yahweh is, is very concerned about that. In fact, he has some pretty hard words to say in verse 12 regarding this. He says, May the Lord, that's Yahweh, cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who has these idolatrous marriages, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So don't come and bring an offering. They were bringing defective offerings anyway. So this is, 
they were messing up on multiple levels, right, like we do. They were bringing these defective offerings, but also at the same time, pursuing these idolatrous women in marriage. And by the way, they were already married. So there's a couple of reasons why God is saying, like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to receive your worship right now. And that brings us to our second point. Not only were they pursuing these uh, idolatrous marriages, they were also pursuing illegitimate divorces. This is Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Are you guys hot? A little bit? I'm, get, let, all right, commercial breaker real quick, because I, I feel like I'm about to pass out. Oh, well, it's fine. It's just me. <laughs> I'm, just having a, I'm just having an issue. I'm having hot flashes because of my age. <laughs> uh, anyway... What were we talking about? Oh, okay, yes. The, okay, so now we're, now we're on the second point, right? These illegitimate divorces. So this is Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accept it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? So that's Israel's rebuttal. Why isn't he receiving our offering? And then here's Yahweh's defense. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So Yahweh is saying, look, no matter how much you cry your empty crocodile tears, which, by the way, were not tears of repentance, like, these are tears of not receiving covenant blessings. Like, their crops weren't growing as well as they wanted. These types of things. He's like, I I'm not going to, you don't need to cover, like, the altar with your tears while at the same time divorcing your first wife, who you have a covenant with. Like, that's, that's a problem. I I'm not going to receive that worship. Why? Because marriage is a covenant before God. Now we've said, right, what is a covenant? It's a relationship built on promises. So a marriage is a covenant relationship built on promises one to another where vows are made before God. And it's important to God because God takes a man and a woman and he makes them one flesh. That's what he says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Now, Jesus, in response to that truth from Genesis, says this in Mark chapter 10. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Right? Because not only are, is this covenant relationship based on promises, there is the expectation of faithfulness. Right? And so these ideas are, they go all the way back to Genesis. Jesus is talking about it. But then Malachi is also talking about it. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Did he, referring to Yahweh, not make them one, right, husband and wife, with a portion of the Spirit, capital S, in their union, like the Holy Spirit is like binding them together? What therefore, uh, sorry, with a portion of the Spirit in their union, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. 
So God made humanity, male and female, to come together as one flesh in a covenant committed relationship so that when they did, right, they would produce offspring. That was God's original design in Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter 1. And in this way, God was reflected. God, right, if you think about God, is one God, three persons. Are they committed to one another? Is the Father committed to the Son? Yes, right? And the Son is committed to the Father. Yes, they are in covenant together. And as a result of the Father and the Son coming together, they produce humanity, right? Not in the same way we do, obviously, but, but there's that, that picture that happens. As a result of the community of the persons of the Trinity, there is creation that comes out of their loving commitment to one another. In the same way, God made one humanity, male and female, who come together in covenant relationship, and the result is creation, right? When, when everything is working properly, right? When we're on the other side of the fall, right? So sometimes things don't work the way that they should, and that's, that's a, just a consequence of being on this side of the fallen, you know, part of the fallen world. But God's design was they come together, and then there is something that is, is created, and that pictures something about God. And on the basis of that, Malachi goes on to say, so guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So he was warning them, right? When they divorce their first wives, they are doing violence to the covenant that they made before God who made them one, right? They were like ripping that apart. They were doing violence to that. Now, to, to kind of get this picture even more clear, I, I want to point us back to an illustration that we looked at a couple of years ago now, but maybe some of you remember. In around 2012, there was a portrait painting that was commissioned for the Queen Elizabeth of England that was to be put on display in Westminster Abbey to commemorate her 60th year of reign. And it was a, yeah, there, and that, on, that slide does not capture it. I, it, is, it is a masterpiece. It is huge. It, it's, it's over eight feet tall, about 11 feet wide. And because of the nature of what it's de depicting, the glory of the queen right, it was handled very respectfully. So whenever it was taken from one area to another area, it was carried by a whole host of people who were carefully carrying it with gloved hands because we got to treat this portrait carefully because it depicts the glory of the queen. You understand what I'm saying? Then it was vandalized by someone a man came and spray-painted over this painting, right? And he was immediately arrested and then imprisoned, right? Because it was a big deal, because he was desecrating the image of the glory of Her Majesty the Queen. 
Now, marriage in the same way is a portrait that is meant to depict glorious truths about God. We've already mentioned the glorious truth about God's own triune nature, but also his covenant relationship with his people. Right, Israel, uh, Yahweh was Israel's husband. And so when the people of Malachi, in, in their day, when they were divorcing their first wives, and then some of them marrying idolatrous women, right, it's like they were ripping that portrait apart, like, like spray painting all over that, that portrait. And they were committing idolatry in two ways, both to their first wives but then also to their husband, Yahweh. And this is why it became so important. And for those of us who belong to the new covenant, people of Jesus, like this becomes even more significant for us because what does marriage picture for us? Like the mysterious union between Jesus and his church. In a passage where Paul is talking about the need for husbands to sacrificially lay down their, they pour out their whole lives in service to their wife, right? And and, and where the wife responds in respect for her husband. In Ephesians 5, Paul quotes, just like Jesus did in Mark chapter 10, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And he says this in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he adds this. This mystery, the mystery of marriage, is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. And so Jesus, on the cross, part of what is happening is he's pouring out his life and shedding his blood to purchase for himself a bride. That's what Acts chapter 28, 28 says. And then by virtue of his sacrifice, taking the church as his bride, they become one, John chapter 17. So do you understand why God would come against illegitimate divorces? Now, I'm not talking right now about those divorces that, where there's adultery or abuse or abandonment. I'm talking about, in general, God is against divorce. God is against idolatrous uh, um, relationships where you open yourself up to idolatry by connecting yourself romantically with somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus. God is against defective sacrifices. God is against not receiving his love. Why? Because God likes to be against things? No. Because those things vandalize the gospel portrait that God is putting forth into the world to reflect him and his gospel of his glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want anything to take away from his son and what his son has done. Now, maybe for some of you, 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 you haven't, you maybe haven't thought of marriage in this way, and, and you're hearing all of this, and it, and it feels really, it feels really heavy to you. And, and perhaps you even feel convicted, and you're saying, I'm guilty. 
Like, I, I have torn that portrait apart. I, I have spray-painted all over that portrait. I, I, I was involved in, in, a, in an illegitimate divorce. I, I pursued a, a, a idolatrous romantic relationship. I'm, I'm doing that right now. I, I bring half-hearted worship, right? And, and perhaps now, and, and, and don't put it out of your mind if God is doing something, if you're receiving conviction from the Holy Spirit, you should pay attention. But also, know what the, the enemy is going to want to do with that. The enemy wants to turn that guilt and make you wallow in it. But what God wants to do with that conviction is to say, come to me and I will restore you. You know, it's interesting when we talk about that painting called the Coronation Theater, after it was spray-painted and defaced and, and some would say ruined, right? The image of the glory of the majesty of the queen was ruined, right? Then a group of artist experts came and restored that painting to its original glory. And that's what the gospel is all about. But we have defaced the image of God with our sin and in our sinful relationships. And we can't fix it. And so we go to God. Right? And he has a very special cleansing agent that repairs the image. And it's called the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we submit ourselves to him, who was the perfectly faithful groom, who 100% of the time lays down his whole life for his bride. When we come to him, it doesn't matter how messed up we are, he says, my bride. And he washes us clean with his word, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. And he restores that image back to us. Will you come to Jesus? Some of our, our marriages, maybe we, we don't, like we haven't divorced, but we might as well as divorce because it's like the, the portrait of our marriage is so messed up. It's so ripped apart. It's so spray painted over. Like we're just like, I can't even see the picture anymore. Right? Will you bring it to Jesus? Will you bring it to God's people? That, that, that's part of, man, the church is not about judging one another. The church is about restoration. So if you're caught up in whatever, come. Talk to us. This fellowship is for that, where we help one another through these things for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, you're good, and your plan is good. And Father, we admit that we, it feels like we barely believe it, God. So please help our unbelief. Help us to come to you, to be restored, to be healed. Father, we need you.